All right, we're going to come up for air at halftime of an offensive outburst taking place on Thursday night this week between Seattle and Dallas. An excruciating loss for the first half. Dallas minus five and a half for this week's guest, but better things to come. This week, I am joined by Arjun Menon. A lot of you may know Arjun as an NFL big data bowl honorable mention. Also this past summer, having interned with the New York Jets analytics departments. He's a senior at the University of Michigan and a big part of their Michigan football analytics society. And on the platform, formerly known as Twitter, you can follow him if you're not doing so already at Arjun Menon 100. That's A-R-J-U-N-M-E-N-O-N and the number 100. Arjun, great to have you back on the show. Welcome once again to Props and Hops. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Matt. Always, always a big fan um, and excited to talk ball, talk shop, and get into some of these games this weekend. Likewise, happy to get this show on the road. And as we do so, want to give a shout out to the audience joining us live across YouTube and Twitter. Feel free to jump in with any questions or comments throughout the show, and we'll look, look to work that into the conversation wherever we can. Arjun, to kick things off, you are, as we said, a student at the University of Michigan, also a fellow Chargers fan. So with that cross-section, I've got to ask you about your point of view on the potential for Jim Harbaugh to follow you out the door at Michigan before too long and perhaps replace Brandon Staley as the head coach of our beloved Chargers. Yeah, it would definitely, I think, buck the trend of what the Chargers have done, uh, like in terms of hiring coaches in the past. Uh, the past three coaches, Mike McCoy, Anthony Lynn, and Brandon Staley, all like first-time head coaches. Uh, Jim Harbaugh obviously would be a retread, and I think he would be like a bigger fish in the pond versus, you know, the other three, like, again, first-time head coaches, you know, kind of like a coordinator type play, uh, coach versus Harbaugh, who's kind of like a CEO type head coach, you know, running two success, two successful football programs at the NCAA level, being a, uh, you know, very successful NFL head coach. I think he would, from a financial perspective, cost a lot of money. And he's also going to have, I think, a lot of bidders on the market. But I think at this point in time, uh, if the Chargers do decide to fire Brandon Staley, I don't really foresee there being a better job opportunity outside of maybe Chicago, which you could have, you know, could end up with the number one overall pick and uh, all that cap space. But at this point in time, yeah, I, I do think Harbaugh would be in play for the Chargers job just because I, I feel like that's a opening he would want with, you know, Justin Herbert as his quarterback and also him being a former Chargers quarterback. The Chargers love having those kind of family ties. So I, I would assume that they would want to pursue Harbaugh and maybe, you know, I don't know what their price level is, but um, I, I, th I do think he would be a, a good hire for them. And if not Harbaugh, then I might have to pester your partner in crime, Tage Seth, about Ben Johnson <laughs> yeah. making the move from the OC ranks to the head coaching ranks and taking over a Chargers offense with a dynamic quarterback in his pocket, if nothing else. But we'll see how that unfolds in the months to come. For now, focusing on week 13 across the NFL, Arjun, is there any side on the board that stands out to you as we record this on Thursday evening? Yeah, I mean, talking about Ben Johnson, uh, I, I love the Saints minus four. Uh, I got them at three and a half like on Sunday, but, you know, just moved to the four. So not a huge change, but this is really just buying the uh, Lions on the bounce back. I know their defense has been really bad lately, um, but I don't foresee the Saints offense as being the one to take advantage of them. They have really struggled, I think, in recent weeks. Michael Thomas is on IR. Rashid Shahid has been a, a DNP the past two days. Olave is still in the concussion protocol, so he may or may not clear. But even if he does clear, it's most likely just going to be him in that receiving room. And the Lions like to run a lot of man. And one of the things that at PFF we've kind of studied that, like, uh, you know, good 
receivers will beat man coverage. But if you're a bad receiver, it's most likely that you're not going to be able to separate. You're not going to be able to get open. And I think that those are the times where Derek Carr struggles a lot. The Lions run defense, you know, kind of above average. Pete Carmichael loves to run the ball with, with Alvin Kamara and Jamal Williams. And then on the flip side, you know, Lions also coming off t- uh, nine or 10 days rest versus the Saints, who are pretty banged up. Also, Cameron Jordan hasn't practiced yet. Marcus May hasn't practiced yet. You know, those are two key starters for them. I think Ben Johnson will be able to take advantage of them. The Falcons ran all over them last week. I think Bijan had 90, uh, Algier had 60, and we know Ben Johnson loves his first and 10 runs. So I think Montgomery and, and Jeremy Gibbs will be able to take advantage of a pretty weak, I think, Saints front four. And I think the biggest worry for me, you know, Frank Ragnow, he was downgraded from a full to a DNP today. But from what I was reading, it sounds like it's going to be more of a, it was more of a rest day for him and he should be back. And even then the Saints are kind of like below average in terms of pressure rate this year. So I don't think golf is going to be under siege as much as he was in the Green Bay game, which means, you know, just watching that game when golf threw the ball, he looked fine. And when he didn't throw the ball and he held onto it, those, those are when the fumbles happened. And I don't think those, uh, I don't think the Saints have the D line to wreak havoc on the Lions like they did. So I really like the Lions in the spot, even even if they are on the road, it's still in a dome, and that's where Goff has thrived in the past. I hear you on that case for the Lions, and you kind of touched on the one potential fly in the ointment that I would identify having had some exposure on Detroit the last two weeks in some way, shape, or form. It's been a painful reminder that Jared Goff is prone to some untimely mistakes. How much do you shock that up as matchups, like you mentioned, Green Bay, putting him under duress early and often on Thanksgiving? Also, the Bears game the week before that, Chicago's defense, not the worst in the league by a long shot, but also not necessarily something to write home about. So backing Goff to win by margin in this setting, how much does that give you any hesitation or for matchup reasons you mentioned, is it still just a pretty clear green light? I think it's still a green light for two reasons. Uh, one, the the coverage that Goff has struggled the most against, even like leading into the Bears game was cover two. Matt Eberflus is a heavy cover two guy. That's why they signed those two linebackers because they want, you know, Edwards or Edmonds to play that middle of the field type, you know, uh, zone coverage and so going into that game that was the coverage he struggled against the most and you know so i'm not too surprised he struggled against the bears and then against the packers i don't again i don't necessarily think it was the coverage that tripped him up i just think the pass rush got home way too often and you know taylor decker didn't have a good game against rashawn gary the interiors really struggled i think their guards gave up 18 pressures combined against the packers and i just don't foresee that happening against the saints you really don't have any interior defense alignment that you know can rush the passer um, and the Saints are kind of a man-heavy team, and they don't have Marshawn Lattimore. And so I think Ben Johnson, again, one of the best play callers and, and schemers uh, in the NFL, I think beating man coverage will be something he's done in the past, and I think he'll continue to do this week, especially without Marshawn Lattimore in the secondary. All right, so Detroit minus four at New Orleans, the look for Argent on the NFL Week 13 slate. And on my end, I will be transparent. The only game I've bet thus far is the Browns plus three and a half at the Rams. But something that I have not hidden on this show so far this season, I am just knocking it out of the park when it comes to picking losers. Three and nine on side so far this season. And the Browns are also Hitman's best bet on the forward progress show this week. Hitman, a good friend of this show as well, of course. And comically, Hitman betting sides on that forward progress show. Only one winner so far this season. So I feel like between my record and his, for the two of us to align, take that with a grain of salt. And and you know what to do when it comes to possibly looking the other way. I feel like with that kind of track record thus far this season, maybe it's a good time to relegate myself from the professional ranks. And Arjun, having you on, I'm going to look at a college game and a potential upcoming opponent for Michigan in the playoff. 
I'm looking at a split ticket for my bet here, a couple ways to get exposure on the Oregon Ducks. First off in the Pac-12 title game, the line has ticked up to minus 10, so that definitely carries some consequence relative to the line being in single digits earlier this week. But looking at Oregon minus 10 against Washington, and because the line is now at 10 and there's not quite as much value, splitting that ticket and getting some exposure on Bo Nix, minus 150 to win the Heisman. Looking at the Pac-12 title game itself, Oregon minus 10, this is a game that Ed Fang of the Power Rank and Brad Powers on the Bet the Board podcast identified as seeing value on Oregon when it was minus nine and a half. So I think, again, that's a key distinction. Laying less than 10 is not the same as laying the full 10. But I also think that there is something to be said for missing the best of the number, not necessarily meaning that you've missed a bettable number. I think some bankroll management comes into play. It would be a smaller bet for me at minus 10 than at minus nine and a half, but a bet nonetheless. And from a simplistic point of view, I could hear somebody's argument being counter to this saying, hey, we've got a 12 and 0 team that's a double digit underdog now against a team that's already beaten this year. You've got to play Washington in this spot. And if it's really that simple, then I'm going to be wrong here. I, I totally hear that side of it. But I think there's some bigger context in play. Looking at that first matchup this season, I think Oregon outplayed Washington head-to-head -head in Seattle. I know that Washington won that game in mid-October, but if we look at two key moments, the last play of the first half, Oregon had a failed fourth and goal from the three, and then the last play of the game, Oregon missed a 43-yard field goal. That's a 10-point swing in a game the Ducks lost by three, and not only making the case for Oregon having outplayed Washington head-to-head -head in that first matchup, but really ever since then, I think Oregon has really been the better team. The Ducks have been dominant. Only one win in that span has come by less than two touchdowns. That was a nine-point win over my alma mater, the USC Trojans, and Oregon was in full control of that game from start to finish. USC tacked on a cosmetic touchdown on its final drive. Oregon knelt down deep in USC territory to run out the clock. On the flip side, the Huskies have been skating by since they beat the Ducks. They haven't won a single game by two touchdowns since then, and it's not because of strength of schedule. They've been consistently favored in the range of 17 to 28 points and beyond some narrow wins, hearing some whispers now that are growing to be quite a bit loud for just calling them whispers. Michael Penix, quite possibly nowhere near 100%, and that doesn't bode well for Washington on a short week with this game being played on a Friday night. The Huskies, since defeating the Ducks, four wins by one score. I will say, I think that record in one score game remains unblemished because the Ducks should win this one by double digits. But as I said earlier, the line now being at 10 does reduce some value. So I also like getting some exposure on Bonix to win the Heisman at minus 150. Hat tip to Payne on the Bet the Board podcast for throwing out this angle. I know anything's possible, but I think it's most likely that if Oregon wins against the Huskies to take the Pac-12 title and clinch its playoff spot, the Heisman is also going to be all but locked up for Bo Nix. So Arjun, I'm going to pause and give you the mic back. Any thoughts on Oregon minus 10 versus Washington as a possible Michigan opponent in the playoff, as well as any thought on Bo Nix minus 150 to win the Heisman? Yeah, I think like as a Michigan fan, I'd, I'd much rather face Washington. So um, I, I think like, you know, both quarterbacks are good. I, I would say Bo Nix is probably a little bit better. And I, I think like Michigan, uh, Michigan's offense isn't as great and as like you know maybe in years past so or like i think i think their offense has not been as good as people would 
would have hoped, even even if JJ's played uh, pretty well this year. And I think Washington's defense is much worse than Oregon's, which is probably, you know, which is probably why the line is like 10 and a half. Um, so yeah, I like splitting it on the Heisman as well as the game. I think like if uh, there could be a chance that Oregon doesn't cover, but Oregon still wins, and that would probably put Bo Nix in the front running front runner seat for the Heisman. So I, I really like that bet. Um, I will say I'm not like as knowledgeable on college as maybe, you, you know, other people are so i'm not out here giving college picks uh, unfortunately but um i i really like the process there and I, I do think that's a smart bet on both sides for splitting the ticket all right well college is a rare detour for me as well i think that's the first time going into anywhere near that level of detail this season on this show I'll just throw out that if you're listening to this in podcast form via the just the picks cut down episode released on saturday morning you will know that you've either dodged a bullet or maybe you'll feel incentivized to catch full episodes earlier in the week. But Arjun, let's shift gears back to the NFL and talk some teasers for week 13. I'm seeing only two fits for that classic model crossing through three and seven as things stand right now. The Jets can be teased up to plus eight hosting Atlanta, and then Jacksonville can be teased down to minus two and a half hosting Cincinnati. So maybe the equation has solved itself for us, or (laughs) maybe there's something outside the box and you're feeling a little creative. Any thoughts on a teaser bet for this NFL Week 13 slate? Yeah, I'm not going to get too creative with it. Just going to go with the standard Wong. Both totals under 39 as well, so it's like low total. That's when you, you know, I think you want to have a you want to have a teaser because it's less variance. Um, yeah, I mean, it doesn't feel great teasing the Jets, especially with how anemic their offense has been. But I think their defense should be able to slow down the Falcons, and it should be a pretty low scoring game. So I think I think it should be able to keep it close. Um, and yeah, I mean, Jacksonville, like this is really just like how serious are you about winning in the AFC? So they should be able to take care of business at home against a pretty uh, banged up Bengals team. So, yeah, I think Bengals or Jacks, Jacksonville down to two and a half and then Jets out to eight is probably the best or the only teaser we can do. It's the best one because it's the only one. I'm not going <laughs> to belabor the point too much. Usually I, I go through a process of elimination when we have a lot of potential fits, but that doesn't really apply this week. I will note that while I can endorse the bet for reasons that you touched on, uh, as full disclosure, this is going to be a small wager for me because most of my Jacksonville exposure came earlier in the week tied to Dallas minus two and a half, which I might have to sweat now is they kick off things <laughs> in the third quarter against Seattle trailing to the Seahawks at home. And I also have the Jags tied to Tennessee plus seven and a half before that line ticked down to Indy as a one point favorite in the Titans Colts matchup. So Feels good to have gotten ahead of some live movement earlier in the week. That, of course, does not guarantee anything. Um, so if, if people are just looking at the board as it sounds right now, the Jets and the Jags in a teaser, I totally get it. The Jets, I do have some trepidation with the variance with Tim Boyle being under center. I heard you on low totals, generally implying less variance. And I've actually been rethinking that in recent weeks. I had a really good back and forth with Sharp Clark on a recent episode mm-hmm. and he didn't feel adamant that that wasn't true, but he just wasn't so sold on it. And and I've just accepted it because I've heard for years, lower totals means less points that magnifies the relative value of each point you get in a teaser. And there's some data that suggests it could cut either way. Overall, I think I've just settled in on not making totals too big of a factor in the teaser handicapping process. And with some variance under center for the Jets, Definitely not feeling great about it, but I would say, again, for a reduced amount, Jets, Jags, I think you could do much worse. One more note here. For a better bet as far as teasers go involving Week 13, I think we could look at the Jags to end Week 13 on Monday night and pair them with a Week 14 game. And some examples on look-ahead lines, we could... If these look ahead lines hold, we could look at the Jags paired with Baltimore minus one and a half hosting the Rams. That seems awfully enticing. Tampa Bay plus eight at Atlanta. Philadelphia plus eight and a half at Dallas. 
I think I like all of those options better than the Jets hosting the Falcons this weekend. Of course, this is all pending week 13 results and week 14 lines when they're really widely available. So for the audience of this show, I'll go ahead and post a preferred play on Sunday evening on YouTube and Twitter in the comments when those week 14 lines are open. But I think the key takeaway here, each week doesn't have to be its own arbitrary endpoint. I think you could possibly get more value with the Jags to wrap up week 13 by pairing them with a team on the week 14 slate. Yeah. No, I, I like that as well. I, I did not think of that, but uh, I, I think that's a smart move. All right. Yeah. A hat tip to my friend, Las Vegas, Chris. He often talks about multi-purpose teasers and parlays and staggering start times. It could really be advantageous that the Jags mm-hmm. as the most appealing teaser leg of the week right now have a Monday night game. So we could pair them with teams on Sunday, or we could just let Sunday play itself out and see what opportunities are available when the week 14 lines are available about 24 hours prior to the Jags kicking off on Monday night. So some good food for thought on teasers. Arjun, let's move into props as well. As things stand right now across the prop betting landscape for week 13 in the NFL, is there anything that stands out in your eyes? Yeah, uh, I know we just talked about how bad the Jets offense is and uh, you might think I'm a sicko for this, but we're going to go with the Jets offense over. We're going to do Tyler Conklin receiving yards over. Um, I think the best line, uh, FanDuel has it 21 and a half, uh, minus 114. Um, I would play this up probably to 26 and a half. But really the reasoning behind this, and I, I've kind of used this reasoning a lot, but like backup quarterbacks or rookie quarterbacks, I, I think just in general, like throwing to tight ends. Um, like last week, Conklin had, I think, a 30 – let me just double check 36 yards receiving. He had five, he had five targets, which was third on the team, but like, you know, really in terms of pass catchers, he was second in targets. He had 33 yards last week, five targets, four catches, a lot of underneath stuff, um, which is fine. I think that's like, that's his role anyway. The Falcons also in general, they've allowed the third most receiving yards to tight ends this year. Uh, Just in recent weeks, we've seen, I think good tight ends kind of carved them up. Uh, like Juwan Johnson had over 40 yards. Trey McBride had like 120 when when they played. So I I think uh, Conklin, just because of the backup situation, because I think the offensive line isn't great, it's going to be a lot of getting the ball out quick and just a lot of checkdowns from Boyle, a lot of mistake-free football. And so kind of that target share to, to Conklin should be around the 5-6 target range. And I think that meshes well with a pretty low total, honestly, like 21 and a half isn't too much. So um, yeah, we're rolling with Tyler Conklin over, you know, betting a Jets over should should go well, but <laughs> hopefully it, it cashes for us. Yeah, and I'm uh, taking a look on my end right now. Yeah, Tyler Conklin receiving yards. There's quite a bit of variance. So uh, yeah, some people might be seeing 24 and a half, even one of the sharper books known to take a bet on props right now is lined at 24 and a half shaded to the over. So uh, there are some, there is, there is one, as you mentioned at FanDuel, that 21 and a half. Um, one bet, one book has 20 and a half shaded pretty heavily to the over. Um, I think that range you gave of some wiggle room, if we call 24 and a half a consensus, still a couple yards to play with there. Mm-hmm. So Arjun looking at Tyler Conklin over for his receiving yardage output. I'm going to look for an under. I'll just go ahead and be the wet blanket and root against human <laughs> achievement for my prop portfolio this week. And I'm going to look toward the under for Jordan Love passing yards. I'm seeing that consensus line right now at 230 and a half. I think the theme of the week for me with all these bets I've broken down, not a major edge, but enough to get in play with a smaller bet. So please manage your bankroll accordingly if you choose to follow. But the narrative around love and the Packers offense right now is a strong upward trajectory. And I think it has a lot of merit, but in some ways I also feel like it's gone a bit too far. If we look at what the Packers have done the last two weeks and namely what love has done with that Packers offense the last two weeks, 
going back to their matchup, hosting the Chargers. Love passed for 322 yards. And I think that was pretty misleading. If we look at the Packers' final drive when they weren't just looking to work the clock, there was a strip sack that the Packers recovered. And then there was a third and 20 where Asante Samuel committed pass interference on an otherwise non-competitive passing play, but it gave the Packers a first down. Then there was a dump off pass. Michael Davis has an atrocious missed tackle that probably played a pretty substantial role in his getting benched not too long after that. Mm -hmm. And then Brandon Saley's defense had a miscommunication. They couldn't get lined up correctly for what ended up being the Packers game winning touchdown pass. All in all, after that, fumble that the Packers recovered on the strip sack, and then the third and 20 PI on Samuel. Jordan Love racked up 59 passing yards. He otherwise wouldn't have gotten then. So I think a bit of a, a misleading context if you just take the 322 passing yards at face value against the Chargers. And then last week at Detroit on Thanksgiving, the Packers were really impressive. Love passed for 268 yards. But I think a key here, Detroit's defense, a far cry from the improved unit that they appeared to be week one at Kansas City. And speaking of the Chiefs, that will be Jordan Love's opponent this week. I think they represent a significant step up in class, a strong pass rush, a strong secondary. I think that could cause Love to be under pressure more than we've seen him in recent weeks. And not only Love under pressure, but pass catchers struggling to get open. All in all, that lands me on Love pass yards under 230 and a half. Arjun, any thoughts on that look? I know a lot of people feeling good about the trajectory of the Packers offense, so maybe this one's going to ruffle some feathers. No, I don't mind it at all. I mean, anytime you like. You know, yeah, like you said, the 320 yards against the Chargers, take that as face, like you can't just take that at face value. It is the Los Angeles Chargers defense. Uh, it's not a very impressive defense. So you have to like, you know, regress it or like adjust, mentally adjust it in your mind. I mean, the Chiefs have a really good defense. I mean, this is like well, probably a top five defense in my eyes. I think Trent McDuffie, LeJarrius Sneed, both, um, you know, a top three, top two cornerback duo in the NFL. Like this is a very good defense. They're pretty healthy, I would say, outside of linebacker. Um, and I think this is... This is a, a unit that I think could cause some trouble for Love. Like I think the Lions and, and Chargers, like both don't really blitz all that much. And a lot of that, and like the Lions like to play man, the Chargers like to uh play zone a lot more, but they also like don't really blitz all that much. Spags is gonna send the house. And I don't know from a processing perspective if Love is there yet against you know this the unique uh blitz packages and, and disguised looks that Spags has. I don't know if he's you know played enough uh snaps in the NFL yet to kind of re uh just like process those disguised looks pre-snap and post-snap. So yeah, I would, I do like fading him at that number. He's, you know, I think it's the number against the chargers is like 226. That's what I got it at. And they obviously soared over. So, you know, I don't think they really adjusted all that much, but I do, I would take the under rather than the over even at like a 230 price. So I, I do like that bet. Yeah, I hear you. It doesn't seem like much of an adjustment, but four yards up against a defense that I would consider a good bit better than the Chargers. I think a similar number based on the opposition does tell us something about possible value on the under. And Arjun, I'll hop back to your pick for a moment because we had Dan Rivera join us in the chat on YouTube, and I'll show his comment here on the screen, asking if you like yards or receptions more. And looking at Tyler Conklin, you spoke to the yardage very well. I see his reception total pretty much painted two and a half, but heavily juiced to the over. It looks like the best you can get is minus 166 at a mainstream recreational regulated book. And um, a, lot, a lot of shops in the range of minus 170, even up to the mid minus 180s. So that's quite juicy. But the security blanket of three receptions cashing the ticket, regardless of yardage output, might bring a lot to the table. So mm -hmm. if you look at Conklin receptions, two and a half heavily juiced to the over versus the yardage output, 
any thought, even Dan has followed up gross at that price. I know that's a lot of big. Sometimes I will say sometimes the best bets I've made are the ones where I've laid the most juice because it's often not necessarily enough when we're looking at extreme price yeah. points. But Arjun, any thoughts on Conklin yardage as opposed to receptions? Yeah, I I wouldn't mind receptions. Like I, again, I'm a, a huge fan of laying that kind of juice. I still think the yards would probably probably be the better play. Um, just because I do think you'll have a lot of targets to go over that number, and if you're not comfortable laying the juice, I would just take the yards and at a much lower or much much lower odds. So yeah, I would I'd probably lean with the yards, but I do think like with his target share and how his targets are going to come about, which is just dump offs and potentially like tight end screens. I do think he'll get at least three receptions to cash. Like I I don't think there's a scenario where he'll go under receptions and over yards, but I do think there is a scenario where he goes over receptions and under yards, which would suck. But mm-hmm. yeah, I would still lean. I would still lean receiving yards. All right. Thanks, Dan, for the question. Love getting to dig in a little bit further there. At this point in the show, I'll take a quick moment to remind everybody that I am partnering with the team over at Right Angle Sports in an affiliate capacity this season. And the team over at Right Angle Sports is offering something for everyone from NFL to college basketball, where they've got an unparalleled track record of success. So no obligation, but if you're interested in trying it out, you can support Props and Hops by supporting Right Angle Sports. I've built a custom link you can use to do so tinyurl.com slash RAS picks. All right, moving right along with the show, a rapid fire rundown of the picks Arjun and I have shared thus far. We can dub it the Props and Hops NFL Week 13 portfolio. And I guess not just the NFL portfolio for this week, some college football sneaking in as well. Sides, Arjun staying in the professional ranks, going with the Lions minus four at the Saints. I am looking at the Pac-12 title game and the Oregon Ducks minus 10 versus Washington. Also looking at a split ticket, taking half of that Oregon exposure and putting it on Bo Nix to win the Heisman at minus 150. As far as teasers go, only one option that really fits the mold. So Arjun and I both looking at the Jets plus eight hosting the Falcons paired with the Jags minus two and a half hosting Cincinnati. But I think you can do better by waiting a little bit if you don't have the stomach for the variance of Tim Boyle under center for the Jets. The Jags don't play till Monday night. So maybe see how the week 14 board opens up on Sunday evening. Give it 24 hours and pick a week 14 game to pair with the Jags when they wrap up the NFL week 13 slate on Monday night hosting Cincinnati. And as far as props go, Arjun looking at Tyler Conklin over, let's call it 24 and a half as a consensus number. Conklin over 24 and a half receiving yards. Shop around, you can catch a 21 and a half and consider it good based on Arjun's advice up to 26 and a half. And I'm going to go with Jordan Love under 230 and a half passing yards. I feel like we do have a little bit of wiggle room with this one as well. Let's consider it good up to 235 and a half passing yards for Jordan Love to the under with a big step up in class, taking on that Kansas City defense on Sunday night. All right, Arjun, we have covered a lot of ground with picks to start the show. I love to weave in the process as well. And with you as my guest this week, I thought it would be interesting to touch on sometimes the tension that I pick up on between the notion of certain things checking out in theory versus how they'll actually play out in practice. And when I think about the theoretical side of things, I go to your NFL big dateable honorable mention or a lot of the work that you do with the Michigan football analytics society. And on the more practical side of things, you had an internship with the jets. So you know what it's like to be in the building with an NFL franchise. So I guess to pose the question to you, how do data and analytics plus your experience in the building of an NFL team ultimately factor into your betting process? Yeah. I mean, I think the data and analytics definitely play into it a lot. Like a lot of my research is through coding or like, you know, I have certain websites I look at and just like try to 
process as much data as I can. Um, and using that data, it's like, it's, it is to help me inform like what bets that I think are worth making, which bets do I not think are worth making, especially for prop bets. Like, I think just like understanding like defensive, uh, metrics or even offensive metrics, like which defenses struggle the most against uh, certain looks or like which defenses uh, allow the most explosive plays, like things like that, just like through my own code, through my tables that I put out. Um, those definitely help in terms of like bets I'm trying to make. Uh, I don't think there's a specific market that I like really target with data and analytics, but um, just in general, like I think like having an idea of like which defenses I want to try to target going into a week or like are there certain trends that have been happening over the last five weeks? Um, and I think like those kind of ideas have been really helpful this year um in terms of my experience with the jets like yeah it was a great experience i definitely learned a lot especially from a football standpoint uh as much as a data standpoint um i would say like the lessons i took away from there aren't really as applicable to betting i think you just like learn about what it takes to run a team uh what goes on within a team's operations i mean a lot of those are are you know really specific to if you're trying to work for a team whether it is in the nfl or nba and not really from a betting perspective but I think like overall, just like I think help like knowing to code and, and knowing what data sources to use, whether it is the public NFL data or like pulling PFF data from like the premium stats and just using those to formulate opinions and, and create narratives to uh, to drive betting decisions, I think has been really helpful for me. I appreciate the delineation there. And one follow up I'll throw your way. I think I heard you reference looking at like a five week trend line and at yeah. first the way that my brain is wired, when I hear the word trend, it usually tells me to run the other way as far as betting <laughs> is concerned and not read too much into trends or narratives. And at the same time, again, somebody who I consider a good friend and a mentor at Las Vegas, Chris, the way that he models things, he often looks at a five-year, not five-year, uh, a five-week <laughs> trend line. Yeah. And I wonder if there might be some value there because this is such an inherently small sample sport with the NFL regular season, even with the added game now, okay, 17 games. So... How do you look at the the tension between especially funneling it down to five weeks being an especially small sample size versus just trying to find some signal in a world that's otherwise pretty much chock full of noise? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I think I've, I've kind of had to think about this a lot the past two years since I've been able to bet. But really, it's like it's not even five weeks sometimes. Like sometimes it's like cutting the season in half and it's like, oh, the second half of the season that we've completed. So like for now, going into week 13, it'd be like, you know, the last six weeks or last seven weeks of the season. But yeah, five weeks, I think is, is fine also. And I think like looking at the five past five weeks also just gives you an indication of like how the team is trending, how injuries could be affecting things. Like, like I talked about with the Saints, like I think the Marshawn Lattimore injury is huge. And you look at like, from that from a past defense perspective how they started the year like they didn't allow a, a team to score more than 20 points in like the first like five or six or seven weeks and they've allowed the falcons to kind of tear them up they have allowed the the vikings with josh dobbs to tear them up and i think part of that is yeah they don't have marshawn Lattimore. they don't have uh key guys um and it's not even just them i think just uh, with other teams as well and like i do think like i don't have a betting model that i use uh i usually just go off my intuition uh, but if I was using a betting model, I do think I'd want to try to factor like a five game rolling average or, or something like that, where you're, you are weighting the recent uh, games because just because I think that does show some type of indication of how a team is trending. Like if you looked at like Jordan Love's season long stats, you'd probably think he's a you know average below average quarterback. But the past couple of weeks have said otherwise, even though they have come against bad defenses. But I do think like kind of that five five or six game uh, stretch in terms of recency, recent games, I think does tell you a little bit and obviously not the whole story, but it does paint a, a good picture of where a team is trending. All right. I think we can 
just look at it as an art and a science into each their own when it comes to how to gravitate along that spectrum. But appreciate the context there. And I think that can lead us into the Malinsky Minute. And I'll think of it as a double feature for the Malinsky Minute this week. First up, I think of Dave in the setup that he would talk about when he was watching games on NFL Sundays or other big sporting days. He had three screens in front of him, basically a balance of multitasking to watch as much as he could at any one time but also maintain focus at the same time. So he wasn't getting too scattered. And I think of this with Dave, because when I think about having you on this show, you often live tweet throughout NFL Sundays. And I'll say that your posts are often more informative and more entertaining than the broadcasts themselves. So from your standpoint, Arjun, how would you describe your game day viewing setup and the way that you will go about approaching maximizing the viewing experience when it comes to relaxing and enjoying things, but also looking to ensure that you have some output and productivity to show for it at the end of the day as well. Yeah. So I, I like message you about this before, cause it is, it is a little embarrassing for me. So my, my sophomore year and junior year of college, like I lived in an apartment and then a house and you know, both of them came with a TV. So like we had like, a, I had like a setup, like uh, it was like in, in the living room. So like luckily like or not luckily like most of my roommates don't really watch sports like i do so i'm usually alone when i'm watching sports which i honestly enjoy um so i'd have like whatever the main game america's game of the week on the tv i'd have like another game that i was interested like streaming it from my laptop and then i'd use my phone for twitter FanDuel, DraftKings. if i'm live betting which i you know i did a lot last year and this year but then this year i moved into my new house um so i've moved like every single year and this year i didn't have a tv and i didn't really feel like I wanted to buy one just for one year. And I, unfortunately you can kind of see, I look, I kind of live in a closet. <laughs> like I have the smallest room in the house. So I don't really have a lot of room for a TV in my room. Um, so initially I started off the year buying Sunday ticket and watching games on my computer. And I, I'm like, I'm not scared to say that. Like I watch games on my computer just cause I don't really have a, a solidified setup. There are some Sundays where I'll go to a, a building on campus and watch the game like on a projector. Like I'll, I'll put the projector up and then I'll have my Sunday ticket up and I can just watch multiple screens that way. But sometimes like I don't feel like leaving the house and I just want to watch from my own computer, which is fine. And a lot of the primetime games like, yeah, like I watch on my computer just because I don't have a TV in the house. But yeah, I usually use my phone a lot for live betting or, or tweeting. Um, I'll, use, I'll use my computer sometimes to look up stats or to look up like the EPA or success rate numbers during a game. But yeah, for the most part, like I'm, if I'm not at home, like in my parents' house in California for break, like, yeah, I'm usually, you know, on a one screen thing just for now. But I, I do hope that when I graduate and I find my own spot, if I'm not with a team or anything, I, I'll, have a, I'll have a much better setup that maximizes my viewing experience. Well, that actually blows me away because of your output, as I touch on, like you are pretty prolific when it comes to posting on Twitter throughout NFL Sundays. And I, I would have guessed that when you had messaged me before and that it was embarrassing, that it was almost more of a command center. It was just too much. So to hear that you're producing as much yeah. as you are with the current setup, if anything, I think that that can hopefully become a source of pride to show how efficient you are uh, with what you're working with on Sundays. And it makes me kind of happy to hear that because I think I'm not alone in thinking very highly of your work and how intelligent you are about the game and the way that you can quickly process things as results are unfolding in real time. And it's common at the start of every season to see, you know, if people just like, you know, got the basement redone and they have four screens, almost like the dream setup to watch whatever you want and have access to everything. But I hope that some people, you know, I, I don't have multiple TV screens. I'll, I'll use, you know, a big screen TV and then, you know, between a tablet, computer and phone, like it, it's easy to watch basically as many games are, are on at a given time. But it, it's not, I wouldn't describe it as glamorous by any stretch. And, and I hope that 
for people who have seen those just glorious setups of a man cave or a, a refinished basement that's just like a, a dream kind of setup. <laughs> that's great. But I think it is you kind of prove out through what you're doing this season. It's not at all necessary in order to be successful in this space or to really develop a certain level of intelligence about the game. Yeah. And I mean, being from California, you don't really have man caves like that because you don't have a basement. Like I've seen my friend's right. houses, like I've gone to my friend's houses here in Michigan and like a lot of them have basements and like, yeah, you just turn that into a freaking man cave and it's dope. But like, yeah, I've had to, for the most part, like even back home, like it's really just one TV, my computer and then a phone. Um, so I, yeah, I don't mind watching on my computer. Like, I mean, some people will say like, oh, are you like even like a real fan? It's like, yeah, like what am I, I, I can't really do much. And I just don't have the space for it in my room, unfortunately. But I think Sunday tickets been great, and the student discount for Sunday tickets amazing. It's like a hundred bucks for the whole year versus however much they charge. Um, so I, I've really taken advantage of that and just being able to toggle between games. Anytime one game goes to add, I'm on another game. So it's like it's not like I'm really missing much. So I do feel like I do get a full experience, and I'm just watching it on a smaller screen. But you know, I I don't mind watching it on a, on a smaller screen, and even if it wasn't a TV, like I I'm, I don't even know how much I'd enjoy a quad box versus just like being able to switch between games manually. So I don't mind it too much. I know you know again, some people might get on me for that, but it's it's okay. <laughs> yeah, the, no 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 room for too much judgment there. And I'll say that as a Chargers fan, maybe the smaller screen, not the worst thing in the world, just to uh, <laughs> limit the amount of focus that yeah. goes into some pretty painful moments seemingly week after week. I agree. All right, well, Arjun, uh, part two of the Molinsky Minute here. Let's have some fun as we start to round a corner at the show. Spotify Wrapped came out yesterday and made some noise across uh, Twitter among many other social platforms. And I wanted to weave it into this show because, not to my surprise, Bruce Springsteen was my number one artist. Yes, I'm a very old soul when it comes to this, but I saw him live earlier this year, and it kind of reset my perspective on some of his classics, not just the super mainstream hits, but a few deeper cuts as well. And I think of when Dave Molinsky would cue up the jukebox in his point-blank column over the years. He would turn to Bruce early and often, but a lot of classic rock beyond Springsteen, Dave would often talk about time and place, and it took me back to going out to Denver in March to see Springsteen live for the first time. I knew every song that was on the set list, mm -hmm. but still to just see everything live, it was a, a totally revitalizing experience. So to see my personal Spotify raps tell me that I'm a 0.05%, you know, top 0.05% fan of Springsteen, direct connection to David Malinsky and a fit for the Malinsky minute here. But enough about my Spotify rap. Arjun, what was your top artist of the year? Yeah, my top artist was Metallica. Uh, so most people Hell probably yeah. don't know. I'm, I'm a big rockhead. Uh, dad put me in the right spot. You know, taught me taught me real music from a young age. So I've been listening to Metallica really since like middle school, elementary school, even. Just it's just my favorite band ever. I got to see them uh, while I was interning with the Jets. Like I got, got to go out to MetLife and watch them, which is amazing this summer. And I've really just been listening to them the whole year. It's my gym playlist. Like I'll listen to it when I'm trying to study sometimes if I'm trying to be in a certain mood. Uh, but overall, it's just I think the best combination of, of songs that I've really been able to listen to. Nice. And they like Springsteen. They've been around for a minute. They have got a really deep catalog. I've got to say, if I'm to put you on the spot and ask for your top three Metallica songs, what would you say? Yeah, number one uh, would be probably Fade to Black. Um, that one's just mm -hmm. a classic. Uh, number number two would be One. And then number three would probably be Master of Puppets. Got to go with a longer one for that one. 
All right. I, I love all three of those and no enter Sandman. So maybe the mark of a true fan. I mean, the, the classic <laughs> Mario and Rivera taking the mound uh, with enter Sandman blaring Yankee Stadium, uh, a fond memory for a lot of sports fans. But uh, going going beyond some of the obvious answers, a lot of respect there. Yeah. Seeing Metallica live at the Rose Bowl a few years ago was a big highlight for me. So glad you're able to get that experience back east during your time with the Jets as well. And beyond music, Arjun, any top podcast that stood out when you looked at your wrapped for the year? Um, I mean, I, I listened to like the athletic football show a lot, like in between classes or, or something. So that was my, that was my top podcast. Um, I, I don't listen to all other, I really just listen to Robert Mays and A. Tice. Like I don't listen to the Kiefer on the beats or nothing against them. It's just not my, like what I'm interested in. I really just come for the analysis. Um, and I think they do a great job of, of that. So yeah, that was my, that was my number one podcast. All right. Yeah. And I will say that my podcasts also were largely sports betting related. The one outlier was a podcast called The Daily Stoic. And it's one that I've come to really enjoy for long form interviews, oftentimes with authors, musicians, athletes, military leaders, a pretty broad swath of people who come on the show. Currently, I'm listening to a two parter with comedian Whitney Cummings. And I'm always blown away by people that I've oftentimes not heard of, or even people who I've heard of, but I don't know their work all that well. And they just Time and time again, deliver compelling interviews. I think the host, Ryan Holiday, does a great job on the show. And what resonates a lot with me with what I've been hearing in his interview series with Whitney Cummings or other guests, trying to find the balance of when to grind and when to relax. I feel like that mm. has just like been my calling for the past few years. Maybe starting up my own side hustle with this podcast isn't the best thing to do if I want to also carve out more time to relax. But it's always such an interesting juxtaposition. And I think overall, my top takeaway from listening to a podcast by the name of Daily Stoic, I think it makes Stoic philosophy a lot more exciting than it probably sounds to most people at face value. But my biggest takeaway is that you can't control most of what happens to you, but you can control how you respond. And and maybe in that sense, it's not such an outlier compared to all the other betting podcasts, because as a parallel to gambling, I think of a lot of discourse around what constitutes the best better. And a lot of common mm -hmm. answers would say somebody who makes the most money or somebody who gets the best odds. And I don't have anything against those answers, but I think from a stoic point of view, I would submit that how about the person who's least phased in the face of negative outcomes? I try to make it a rule for myself not to let a tough loss or a bad beat affect the rest of my day too much and really still prioritize quality time with my wife, family, and friends, my career, health, and fitness, just more important things in life. And frankly, the most important things in life shouldn't be adversely influenced by results I can't control. So I would say from losing bets to being a Chargers fan, there's plenty of <laughs> yeah. opportunity in this sports betting space to practice and embody stoicism on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah, I, I wasn't even going to bring up betting like that. But yeah, just being a Chargers fan has already taught me a lot of not letting them ruin my day. So I've I've had plenty of experience with that. And yeah, like there's going to be I've had bad beats this year and, and they've been tough, but like nothing really beats a good old Chargers loss after a great Justin Herbert performance. So can't really it, it does compare, I think, fairly well. And sometimes the best way to wash away the pain, again, all good things in moderation, don't drown your sorrows too much. But if you need to take off the edge, we can weave in the hops here. Arjun, last time I had you on the show last summer, you had not yet turned 21. Since then, that has changed. So now that you're of drinking age and we can more properly get into this segment, how would you describe your best drinking experience uh, since your 21st birthday? Yeah. So, I mean, being in college, you, you have a lot of experiences, you know, I've had some great drinks. I've had some great experiences overall, but I think the one that would stand out uh, was 
uh, February of this past year where me and uh, Tage Seth, who I know is a friend of the pod as well, we went down to New Orleans for a football negotiation competition. And we were out, you know, after the competition was over with friends, just drinking on Bourbon Street, um, daiquiris, like mango margaritas. Like it was just, it was a great, the drinks are great, but also just the environment because it was like two weeks before Mardi Gras. So everyone was, you know, still out. So everyone's still out there really just getting ready for it. There's parades up and down the streets. Um, and just being able to hang out with friends that we we met like basically through Twitter first and then being able to see them in person and just having those like, kind of like long lasting friendships with them. And then uh, just being able to have some great drinks on the great in the great city of New Orleans. That was probably my number one drinking experience that I've had. A parallel I just thought of for the first time is something that I've said on the show a few times over the years. There's a time and place for any drink, and often the experience goes well beyond the drink itself. Where are you? Who are you with? So I think what you just said totally resonates. But also there's a connection to the sports viewing experience where, you know, let's say if we're watching a Chargers game, you want your team to win. The way that the game breaks is a big part of the experience, but also where you are, who you're with, that can also go a long way in the overall experience. So I would say from the sports betting side of things to the craft beer side of things, just keeping that bigger picture in mind, it can probably add to fulfillment so long over time. I mean, I would rather, maybe I'm just numb to it at this point, but I feel like I would rather be with like my closest, you know, family and friends and maybe watch the Chargers lose a heartbreaker, but have a good time and good company than sit by myself and have nobody to enjoy it with if they perform really well similar to how, mm -hmm. yeah, there might be a really fancy barrel-aged stout that I could enjoy, you know, on my couch at home if I wanted to, or to go out and socialize and have something that maybe isn't as geeky of a craft beer, but it's still good and in the right environment could be a much better overall experience. Yeah, that, that's a great point. Like, I think like in general, like I typically, typically like to watch games alone unless it's with people I, th I feel like actually like no ball just because like I talk a lot like if I'm like with someone else, I talk a lot during the games or like, I, I'm going to like, when I'm alone, I'm going to be tweeting during games. Um, so yeah, like I, I understand where you're coming from. I think like for me, I think I'm probably a little bit of the opposite where again, like unless I was watching with someone like you or someone like Tage, like I really like to watch games in solidarity or in solitary confinement, especially with this room. Uh, so yeah, I think, I think I, you know, would probably be on the other side of that, but I totally understand like watching with people and yeah, when they do win and it's a great game, it's definitely fun to enjoy it with other people. Yeah, fair enough. Well, I think we've covered some good ground over the course of this conversation when it comes to some picks, some process, some bigger picture life perspective. So as we go ahead and round the corner here, one quick ask to the audience for those of you who are still tuned in with us, that's a clear indication that you like the show. So if you're with us on YouTube, would appreciate it if you could like this video. If you're with us on Twitter, it would be great if you could take a moment to like this post. And if you're with us in podcast form, if you could take five seconds to leave a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, that would be greatly appreciated as well. And last but not least, however you're listening, friendly reminder, you can support the show by supporting Red Angle Sports via the custom link that I've built out, tinyurl.com slash picks. With that, we'll go ahead and get ready to close up shop. If you're not doing so already, would highly encourage you to follow Arjun's work. A good starting point would be to check him out on Twitter at ArjunMenin100. Arjun. Until our next props and hops discussion, when maybe Tage's guy, Ben Johnson, or your guy, Jim Harbaugh, is coaching our Chargers, thank you for the time and insight throughout tonight's conversation. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on, Matt. Uh, best of luck to your bets for this week. Hopefully the the prop and teaser spread bets from that I gave out this week will cash as well. But always a, always a pleasure being on. Likewise, and best of luck to your Wolverines moving forward. To those of you watching and listening, thank you for your time. Enjoy week 13 in the NFL, and best of luck with your bets this weekend.